everyone, it's Alice here, another episode of Poetry Says for you. And today I want to talk to you about Jill Jones, who's a fantastic Australian poet. She's someone who I've been following for quite a few years now, and she describes herself as a poet person living quietly in Adelaide. I'm going to come back to this, uh, the question of the bio line, a little bit later in the episode, but I love this bio because it reminds me of reminds me of something that Kay Ryan said once, which was, I try to live very quietly so I can be happy. So I think, I think I know where Jill's coming from there with the living quietly in Adelaide part of things. And describing her poetry in 2005, she said, I don't think that I can do other than write out of where I am, but I don't want to pour out my soul. I don't think anyone's particularly interested in my soul but I'm sure they're interested in places. I'm sure they're interested in the way words can construct a place and the place can be an internal state. So I wonder if you'll see that operating in today's poem. It's got such a fantastic title, which is why I was drawn to it. It's called Back at Work After the Flu. And on her website, again, Jill says that her poetry is poetry where the I, the personal pronoun, has shifted from the center. So again, this kind of, I don't think anyone's particularly interested in my soul. Really interesting, quite a different way to think about writing poetry, I think, than than many other poets would. And Jacket describes Jill's work as redemptive in an entirely secular way. And I think I think that's at work here in this poem as well. It's a very short and um, quite thin poem. It's all up against the edges of the page. But I was, yeah, I was attracted to it from the title and also because it kind of defies the usual categories that we write poems about. I was listening to a talk by Billy Collins a little while ago and he, he was asked, what are the topics that we can write poems about, I think, and he said, well, there's love, there's death, there's death, there's love. You know, his usual Billy Collins-esque humour there. But yeah, neither of those things are happening in this poem. I don't think this is a love poem and it's not a death poem. So yeah, it's, it's a tiny topic, but it's a fascinating topic. It's that point when you realise, okay, I've had this time alone, I've been convalescing and... Uh, I'm actually well enough to get back out into the world now and even though you're still really fragile and and kind of yeah a bit soft and squishy you have to harden up and and get back out there reminds me of this column that Maggie Alderson wrote once in Good Weekend she talked about the point at which you have to get out of your trackies and get back into hard pants so (laughs) I think that's the point that this poem is talking about here so let's let's have a look at this poem here back at work after the flu i slipped away almost if there is some doubt about that i am this time by the window and the greening branches outside and traffic and the cherry picker the sawing down of the trees outside the state library and the wind and the people all there proof on my optic nerve into that grey cauliflower filing cabinet that almost failed and let me slip away under the desk. 
Now, if you look at this poem, it's a really kind of thin, long poem, all bunched up against the left-hand side there. Jill's a real master of the jagged, unexpected line break. And as you go through the lines, you kind of see she makes a declaration, like, I slipped away. And then in the next line, she corrupts that by saying, almost. And same at the very end of the poem, and let me slip away under the desk. It's almost a funny ending. You just get this image of somebody crawling under the desk as a sign of giving up or just going under there for a nap or something like that. And I don't know if you've ever done that in an office environment, but it doesn't go down well. Let me tell you, people uh, start talking about professionalism pretty quickly. But yeah, this is, I think this definitely matches up with Jill's description of work where the, the personal pronoun, the I, even though it's in that first person voice, that's not really the center of this poem. I mean, quite literally, the middle of the poem, the middle lines, they're all about branches outside, traffic, the cherry picker, sawing down of the trees outside the state library. So it's talking about this kind of sensitive, delicate and fragile time, dragging yourself back to work after you've been sick, but it's definitely not wasting any time talking about how, how sensitive and fragile the person feels. It's, it's more about, okay, what's concrete, what's real? It's got this kind of insistence in the way that those images layer on top of each other the cherry picker, the sawing down of the trees outside the state library and the wind and the people. It's like she's trying to almost convince herself, I'm here, I'm back in the world. And maybe there's even an, a kind of an eco-poetic way of looking at things. So eco-poetic just meaning poetry where the human is not the main thing. It's not kind of privileged above the other things in the poem. The fact that the eye is not in the centre here, I think it could be. It could be that that there's, yeah, an emphasis on, well, the fact that the, the trees are being sawed down and there's wind, the branches are greening. That all seems, yeah, just as significant as the way the speaker is feeling. One of the most interesting things, though, I think comes towards the end where all this proof, all these images on the optic nerve they're impressed onto what Jill calls the grey filing cabinet, grey cauliflower filing cabinet, which is such an amazing, fantastic description of the brain. And then, interestingly enough, she says that almost failed and let me slip away under the desk. So I'm intrigued by that because it sounds like she's talking about more than a bout of flu. It's like... If you have the flu, it doesn't usually affect your brain, or hopefully it doesn't. So, yeah, why is the grey cauliflower filing cabinet almost failing? It's interesting. I'll just leave that question hanging there, because I don't have a good answer. But, yeah, I think the other reason that this poem appeals to me so much is because it does something that poets very rarely do or don't do as, as often I was, as I would like them to do, which is to talk directly about work and the fact that jobs, kind of paid work, 
needs to happen around poetry 99% of the time at least. I think the majority of poets do have a job. For some of them it's really closely knit in with poetry um, and for some of them it is totally separate from poetry. It's just something that they do to kind of build up enough cash to spend some time writing. But the interesting thing is that when we're asked to put together our little bio lines, and I'm definitely guilty of this too, we basically never mention what the job is that we're doing to support ourselves. I think the only poet that I've seen who consistently does this or does it in a really straightforward way is Pio. He always says, or used to say, occupation draftsman in his bio, and now he says retired draftsman or something like that. But um, yeah, a lot of the time, and again, I do this all the time, when I, whenever I have to write a bio, I just say writer and editor, something really vague and airy-fairy like that. And I totally get it. Nobody really wants to talk about the jobs that they sometimes have to do that they often don't like because they'd really just like to be thinking and thinking about and writing poetry all the time but um I wonder if it kind of builds up this myth that like we're all just living these magical lives where we don't have to work because we're poets and that might sound silly to you but I do I definitely remember when I first started reading poetry about 10 years ago I would get those those best ofs and before I'd read any of the poems I'd flip straight to the back and look at the bios and go okay you guys have all done this you've all got a poem in the best Australian poetry how have you made that happen I need to know what's the setup here um, but there just was yeah very scant information I didn't really I couldn't really see how they were doing it from those bios at least and as I actually met and got to know um, a few poets here and there I, I started to realize that the answer was really complicated and that's why <laughs> no one was putting that down in the bio because there just wasn't enough room but yeah I think that's that's an interesting little sidebar there I went to a panel the other day called making a life in poetry and there were four poets on the panel three of whom were teachers and one was an ex-lawyer he'd been working as a lawyer for 10 years and now he was striking out to become an independent poetry publisher so I'm guessing he had some savings behind him but um, a student stood up to ask a question and she said look I really want to be a poet but um, I don't want to be a teacher I just I can't do the teaching thing I'm too shy it's just not for me so what else can I do to support myself? And one of the poets on the panel said, well, you can do anything. You could be an astronaut if you want to. There's not enough astronaut poets. There's not enough plumber poets, carpenter poets. You don't have to have a job that is that closely related to poetry um, to be writing it. And I think astronaut's kind of a bad example because I doubt that they have much free time to be sitting down and writing poetry, but I don't know, maybe they do. But yeah, I think what she was what she was saying really was poetry can happen at the periphery of a job, a career. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that you get up 
and do from nine to five. But it does take time. And there's this really unresolvable tension there, I think. So, yeah, those were the things that this poem, Back at Work After the Flu, got me thinking about. Yeah, just this reminder that to write a beautiful poem like this, work has to be going on. you got to get up, get out of your tracky dacks and go to the State Library at least. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you want to come on and chat to me about a poem that you like, you can. You don't have to be a poet at all. You can just be a poetry fan or you can be a poetry beginner. I've talked to a lot of people who say, oh, look, I'd like to come on, but I don't know enough about poetry. You don't have to. We can just chat. So, yeah, if you want to be part of it, get in touch at poetrysays.com.